Thank you for tuning in to the Pedagogies for Social Justice podcast, brought to you by a student staff partnership at the University of Westminster. This is a platform for students and educators to exchange knowledge and encourage discussion about the current challenges facing higher education. I'm your host, Kyra, and for this episode, I'll be in conversation with lecturer at Westminster Business School, Fatima Matuk. Fatima is engaged in a number of research projects on partnership at the university, including the Pedagogies for Social Justice project. In this interview, we discuss Fatima's journey from studying business and economics in Egypt, Germany and the UK, and how this influenced her understanding of race and coloniality. We then go on to ask her for her thoughts on student-staff partnership and the importance of utilising it in the classroom before we get into some of the ways we might begin to decolonise the business school. Hi Fatima, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the podcast. It's so great to have you here as a guest. How are you doing today? Hi, Clara. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, quite interesting and a bit scary to be on the guest seat, but I'm very happy to be here. And I'm very well. I'm very happy. <laughs> Good. Uh, I like to start things off with our guests just um, sharing a little bit about themselves in their own words. So first things first, where are you from? So um, I'm Egyptian, German, German, Egyptian. <laughs> I, um, so I was born in Germany and then I grew up in Egypt and spent a bit of time going back and forth between the two countries. And um, then since 2016, I've been in the UK. And just thinking in terms of kind of like your um, upbringing in Egypt um, and I guess your move to Germany as well, like what were some of the kind of representations you had access to and Whereabouts did you see, like, where you felt almost like you were represented? Um, that's a very interesting question. And I think it's one that I engaged with most of my life. And I would have to say I didn't feel very represented, like neither in Egypt nor in Germany, mainly because, um, like, in um, so in Egypt, I, I was raised by my um, German single mom. And around me, like I was in a normal Egyptian school, so it was mostly very traditional Egyptian families. And I didn't really identify with the context, let's say. And even like the small mixed uh, German Egyptian community in Egypt was quite different because it was often expats or um, families that had a very different um, life and let's say also financial standards so it's not um wasn't really relatable similarly in in germany most of the um friends i had or when i used to go visit my grandparents um it was a very german context so it didn't fit either so it was kind of i felt like i belong a little bit in each world but in terms of representation or relating um, there was very little of that, actually. Mm-hmm. And I'm really intrigued to just kind of get an idea of, I guess, your shift from Egypt to Germany. Like, how do you feel your kind of understanding of race differed, like, between the contexts or, like, in your sense of kind of racial identity as well? Yeah. Um, so something I always think of is that in terms of race, I always felt like people cannot necessarily place me. 
And um, when I was a bit older, at some point I was veiled for a long time. And my name is Fatima. So in Germany, for example, I would be seen as a Muslim and an Arab person. In Egypt, sometimes people could hint that I'm not fully Egyptian. I never knew how exactly they um, or what exactly they saw that made them think of that. But I think most of my issues with race between the two countries was always like question marks. So if I would write my story with race, a list of many, many questions that could be summed up in what is it exactly? So a lot of moments in, in Germany would be me thinking, if it's a challenging situation, like, is this about my religion? Is this about my Arab identity? Um, because in terms of, let's say, skin color, I'm neither here nor there in a way. Um, I could fit in Germany. I could fit in Egypt. Um, some people think I'm from Spain, which is like another profile of sorts. So, um, so it's more... A lot of questions and in Egypt on the other hand the being part western or white in terms of identity I guess and race often came with um, a privilege because it is an issue we have there that um, oh you're German so this means something to them that was rarely ever the case um, often it meant maybe to people it would mean money or knowledge or access to certain things that I didn't really have um, or it could often come with a prejudice or with a judgment of or oh, you're German or half part German so you're not a proper Muslim because um, who would teach you proper Islam or proper Egyptian traditions so um, but it was rarely the case that I could actually tell what's going on. Maybe now in retrospect, sometimes I can understand, but never during somehow. So who would you say kind of inspired your thinking the most when you were kind of growing up? Like uh, it could have been a family member or maybe like a specific um, public figure, author, things like that. Like, um, I think somehow my parents come to my mind. So um, especially, especially thinking of education, somehow thinking of it in terms of education. So although my father passed away when I was a few months old, he, um, he was the first in his family to go to university properly. And he like went from this tiny, tiny village in Egypt um, with no wealth, very poor background, to having a scholarship, go to his PhD in Germany, so quite a big deal. And my mom, like everything she did her whole life was encourage us for education. Like if we had anything, it would be, it would go into our education. And she was the one who pushed me to continue with education, like after the undergrad, do a master's, do a PhD. When I was younger, when I was a teenager, I used to have fights with her because... I don't want to think about a PhD now, I'm 16. <laughs> um, so they, they definitely shaped a lot of uh, my journey and my thinking. 
Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's, there's also quite a few teachers in Egypt who, um, whom have also left a like left an impression that lasted with me until now, like certain conversations I had with them, um, certain instances that somehow were meaningful to stay with me twenty years later. Mm-hmm. 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 Amazing. Um, would you mind giving us just kind of like a breakdown of like your educational journey, like kind of where you started and obviously where you are currently? Mm-hmm. So um, I went to school in Egypt. It was a um, like an Egyptian semi-governmental school. So it's a different system a little bit. So um, our curriculum was taught in English, which was quite lucky. Um, then with 16, I um, finished high school. I went to Egypt, to an Egyptian university for a couple of years studying business and management and then um, I transferred so from an Egyptian from the Egyptian university to um, a German one in Berlin Humboldt University and I did um, it's an inter-university transfer so I didn't need to restart but still the two years I studied were not counted for so I had to restart eventually and um, yeah, that was an interesting experience because um, it made me think uh, I was studying for two years. How can you only give me like one semester worth of credits? But later on, um, a lot of things crystallized. And um, then I continued my um, master's studies also at Humboldt University in business and management. My interest was a lot in things around culture, um, business ethics so a, a bit of these topics and um, then I worked in international development again mostly organizations and projects working between Germany and Egypt for four years and in 2016 I did my um, um, PhD at uh, Westminster Business School on um, individual diversity perceptions and how we construct our understandings of diversity and of ourselves. And yeah, then I um, afterwards joined Westminster as a lecturer where I met you. Yeah. (laughs) And just like us, like looking back now, like why, what was it about business studies and kind of like management studies that really just like got you like what was what kind of inspired you to kind of pursue it pursue that so I wish there was an inspiration behind it (laughs) but I'll (laughs) be very honest and confess when I uh, finished high school at 16 I had no clue what I wanted to do and Mm -hmm. I, I didn't I think I didn't know enough of the world to take this decision that felt like it will shape my whole life And my thinking was kind of, okay, what is something that I can do that will just make me able to work anywhere? And I had this idea of what's management about, business about. And I saw it from a perspective of, well, every institution needs to be managed somehow. Like I'm not bound to a field or to a um, 
very certain job role. So I didn't go much into accounting and finance and the things that put you in a specific box. And um, so that's how I chose my mm-hmm. studies, really. And then somehow when I started working, because of my focus, I think, on things like communication and um, culture projects of sorts so this somehow got me into international development and then my path just changed away from so I've never really worked in business as such Mm -hmm. yeah and I guess thinking about your time and just university in general obviously you said that you were kind of involved in thinking about questions related to um, diversity and like equality communication culture when do you think your kind of opinion of the institution kind of changed and like what was that like for you um I think it all came at a much later um stage and um thinking of the question I I feel a bit like I don't have a fully formed opinion which is just like an interesting thought for myself but I think it was when I started seeing the world or life as more than just the the specific space I'm in and I I started really understanding how the institution is simultaneously a product of but also a shaping factor of historical social economic political um, contexts that's when I started feeling different because I started understanding that the institution anything I I find amazing or anything I find to be a struggle within the institution is not just from the institution but the institution is also accountable so it's this but it's not just the institution and I think this was a key moment for me to feel a shift. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a constant kind of battle isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) And is there anything that you kind of wish you knew then that I guess you know now, like maybe looking back at your kind of like early early years in your PhD um, or when you started, like, yeah, when you came to Westminster Business School, like what, what did you, what do you wish your younger self knew? I wish some, some things are a bit, uh, like I wish I knew or grasped fully that everyone sometimes feels like an imposter. <laughs> or that I don't actually have to know everything um, or that everyone is struggling somehow in their own way with something in terms of their education um, so there are these more like bigger emotional things that I think would have mattered but also I think I wish um, I wish I knew or I wish I knew how to navigate the system So the more I'm staying at the institution, I'm realizing that there are often mechanisms out there. There is a way to find someone to talk to if something is not going the way it's supposed to. Um, This this also applies to my studies in Berlin, where I've faced a few situations where now I think back then, if I would have known what I know now, I would have done these and these and these things. Um, so I wish I knew about the, the channels, the mechanisms 
the ways of moving through things in a university, both the actual policies that often as a student, I had no clue about what my rights are. Um, so I wish someone would have given me like an honest and very clear path or idea of these are your rights and this is how you can make sure to um, to get them and these are also your responsibilities so this is something that is on you there's something that's on the institution and this is what you can do about it so these kind of things thank you and just thinking about student staff partnership you're obviously involved in quite a few student staff partnership kind of programs why is partnership kind of particularly important to you and I guess what is your favorite thing about doing this kind of work yes um that's a question I really like because um so having studied in in Egypt and in Germany and then in the UK I feel like I experienced three very different um, educational systems and some of them being quite hierarchical, authoritarian, um, some much less. When it comes to partnership, it's, it's the space with such a unique um, relationship between students and staff that I, growing up and being in education, I never even knew existed. And it was so non-existent to me that I never even thought it's something I wish for. But now that I've experienced how this works and how the space operates, I think back and I always think, I wish I would have somehow gotten into student partnership. I would have come across it um, throughout my education. And um, and I think it it would have it would have given me a lot of the things that I was just saying I wish I had. So this understanding and this um, confidence also, and to be seen by staff as a student, um, to be really fully um, and wholly respected. That's, I think that's something really special about um, partnership. Um, and why do you think some lecturers and academic staff are kind of reluctant to work in partnership or utilize it in their teaching? Um, I think there are two things that come to my mind. Firstly is if, if I imagine being in academia for years and years or a few decades, especially if more senior um, academics and lecturers, then you kind of experienced most of or all of your time as a student and later on as a lecturer in a system of hierarchies and power and roles that is very different to what student partnership is about. And student partnership is relatively new, so it's not something that's been around for decades. And um, so I think it can feel quite foreign, especially if it does not relate at all to how they experienced being a student. Um, and even myself, when now working in partnership, I always think, oh, wish, I wish I knew these things when I was a student. Now, if I had this very traditional experience and then 
years or decades of working in these same traditional ways, it can be quite um, a foreign shift. And I think the other thing could be this concept of expertise and knowledge and what is considered appropriate and real, you know, <laughs> knowledge, um, real in air quotes. Um, and I think once we, um, once we start realizing that knowledge is not only about um, what is proven and what is um, rigorous research and so on, we will start coming away from education being this thing where those who have the knowledge deliver it to those who are seen not to have it. And that's not what partnership is about. Partnership is about everyone contributing equally in different ways, um, but equally meaningfully um, in the process. So I think these dynamics of what one's own experiences are then coupled with but this is the subject knowledge and I'm the one who has the subject knowledge can, can make it quite a difficult barrier to, um, to break through. And um, I guess thinking about your own kind of experience uh, with student staff partnership and actually working with students yourself, what are some of the responses you get from students who've been, who you've been in partnership with? I think because I, I work in, like I work in the student partnership team and um, in the students as co-creators program. And so what I, um, and with the students as co-creators ambassadors, which is one of my absolutely favorite parts of, um, of my work. So what I um, get is more a flavor of the space rather than um, direct, like, I, I feel like I, I shouldn't say I have co-created something with students, for example. I didn't have like an official, an official co-creators project or so, but I can, I'm in this space and I can feel its flavor. And um, what I really like is the, um, the joy I see in it and how learning and co-creating is really about the joy we experience it's a very um very trusting space it's a very warm friendly space and often i hear from students on the program how how much like um for example in an interview with tino who's also an episode on this very podcast uh she said how how this, uh, how her co-creators project was one of her favorite um, favorite part of studying and being in the university, and and this always makes me feel so emotional and humble and just like thankful that this space exists. Um, so I think the joy of being a student and in university there can be so much joy that I think we don't experience enough of. And I feel like student staff partnerships with everything they mean and bring can be a real space for that joy. So, yeah. No, I agree. And I think, yeah, I feel the same. Like I think even working with my experience in kind of like student staff partnership, like I feel like 
I guess I actually do get to kind of co-create in that sense and yeah like there's just so much joy in it and I think there's so much to learn on from both sides like I have so much to learn from the like the staff and then they have so much that they can learn from kind of me and my experience and I think just do it being able to kind of like foster these kind of spaces and do meaningful kind of work like especially decolonial work like I think it really just makes all the difference and I think yeah like it would be nice to for other people to kind of get to experience what we get to experience mm-hmm. absolutely I wanted to also dedicate some time to talking about, I guess, decolonizing the business school. I wanted to first ask, how is business and kind of all the subject areas that come under it, like how, in what ways do you kind of feel like they're still very much colonial? Mm-hmm. That's um, a million dollar question, as they say, and I wish I had, I wish I had an extensive answer and a definitive one. Um, but I think the only way we can approach such questions is really to look at all the smaller spaces that make up the bigger space of a business school. Um, one, a few things came to my mind thinking of this. So one thing is um, certain, um, certain aspects and how they're conceptualized. So how we look at culture, which is a big part of business studies and international business and international management and all these um, theories and um, subjects really that fall under management, how we conceptualize culture and how it's Eurocentric is a huge problem, especially because it directly then also shapes how business is done. You know, how companies are set up, how then employees experience their workplace and so on. Um, so that's a, that's a real issue. Um, another thing, which I think is, or probably applies to most, if not all disciplines, is a lot of what we constitute to be proper knowledge stems from four-star peer-reviewed journals, majority of which is based in the US or in the UK. So what does this shape or how does this then shape the discipline? When I was doing my PhD, I was doing it across Germany, Egypt and the UK. And looking at literature and um, references I can cite that are considered good enough for a PhD um, was quite difficult for Egypt. Because a lot of the um, a lot of the the sources I found were not from four star journals, and but this doesn't make them any less important or valuable. So um, that's that's also quite a problem. Um, and another thing is also how we use certain theories and what assumptions they come with. So um, theories like. Hofstede's theory of cultural um, dimensions and comparisons is one that I find difficult to to think of because we make this assumption that we can define a culture, 
we can define how everyone in that culture is supposed to be. So we're creating stereotypes, prejudices, which is very much a colonial thing. Um, and I used Hofstede's theory along with other things in my PhD. And the more I work in this decolonial space and work and the, the more difficult I feel about it. And then what I fall back to is how I felt as an Egyptian German thinking of Hofstede's theories and then thinking, actually, the way he describes this, I do feel this in Egypt a little bit or in Germany. And then I feel, but I'm part of these cultures. I can feel this. And I know the culture well enough to know this is not a statement you can just say Egypt is that way or Germany is that way. But then I think, but the theory is out there and others who've never been to Egypt, never thought of it, can make that assumption about every Egyptian they meet. So it's, it's hard because it's, and, and often these theories are some of the most established ones and the most used ones. And you cannot research something without at least then explaining why you're not using it because it's that established. Um, so that's also quite a thing. And, um, and I think overall it's, the, the colonialism just manifests in all these sometimes smaller, sometimes really huge things in how we teach, what we teach, how we then apply the things we teach. And um, yeah. And like, do you feel like it's even possible to, I guess, kind of to colonize business studies when I guess the very essence of the discipline is like rooted in obviously capitalism, and that is a system in itself that was able to really expand through imperial and kind of colonial endeavors. Like, how are we able to kind of separate, if we are, like the discipline from, I guess, the very essence of what business means? Um, that's another million dollar question, <laughs> because it's, I think, I think in a way we cannot separate the two because it's, it's a cycle and I think there is no way to find where one begins and one ends. We have an educational system all over the world that has its legacies and nuances of colonialism, whether in, in business or else. And eventually it is a system that technically exists to give students what they need to then be in the outer world, which is then for business students, the capitalist world. So I don't know how to um, separate them or where to start, but I think that um, often like to do this kind of work might be easier in the, um, in, in, in education, if I think, it's colonialism and capitalism feel like they are different but intertwined things one the result of the other or not but eventually experiencing both can feel very similar and I'm thinking how much can I let's say maybe as an employee <laughs> do something like what kind of consequences do we have in our life decolonizing 
curricula? Is it easier? It, if we're thinking of theories and material, it might be easier to start with something that is about someone else <laughs> who wrote that theory at some point. So it might be um, a slightly um, less dangerous way to start somehow. But eventually I think we need to be looking at both because one, for one to change, the other needs to change because it would also be unfair to, to decolonize and to um, change everything in the educational system and then let students graduate and be, um, be hit by the ugly reality of, oh, we're not prepared for what we're seeing here. Because what we what we learned was something else, so it's it's a very challenging thing, I think. Mm, no, absolutely. And I guess this kind of links to my next question: um, What do you feel like business kind of lecturers can do to kind of begin to like decolonize their pedagogy and their practice? Um, I think the one of the first things is to start having conversations with students. So we need as lecturers to, to start listening and talking about these things, to start understanding how our students are experiencing these um, forms of um, coloniality and what they think the solution is and what they need us to be doing. Um, and to do so, I think the, the one of the key things is to just start getting a bit comfortable with very uncomfortable conversations and um, and I think often we as um, lecturers maybe if we're faced with such a situation we might react immediately and in a, in a problem-solving way which is often not helpful and we, we sometimes need to sit a little bit with some very uncomfortable things and not jump at the first solution and um, to really see this as a long process of starting the conversations. Thank you. And I guess what advice would you give to students in or kind of entering business schools right now that also want to kind of demand social justice and equality in that space? Um, I think one thing I wish I would have done as a student, and this is why I think of it, is to speak to other students, because um, there were many situations where I felt quite challenged by things that are that were about racism and um, quite heavy things, and I think I I was stuck in this thought of well, how can I talk to a professor about this? How can I talk to someone in the university about this? And I think that if I would have had the thought or um, maybe also the, the relationships with students I felt I, I identify with and spoken to them, this could have started a very different process. So I think I would tell them, speak to each other. And if when things are difficult, think together of what you want and it's much easier to then maybe speak to lecturers or think together of what you want um, to achieve for social justice. And sometimes 
then you need to find that one person who will explain the system to you. And so look for that person and it's always easier. It would have been, I think, a source of safety for me if I would have um, spoken to others. Um, yeah. No, I think I feel the same way too. Like I think getting involved in organizing like as soon as you can, like is just so important. Like even if it's just through maybe meeting somebody through like a society and seeing if like, you know, we have any common interests and then going from there. Like I think, yeah, definitely opening up yourself in that way is important, especially in like the earlier years of your um, degree. But yeah, thank you um unfortunately we're coming to an end to this interview but as a question I like to end on as you already know is what is something you'd like to see happen or see develop within higher education in the next 10 years yes since I uh, know this is a question in every episode kind of also thought of it um so there were two things that came to my mind Firstly, free education. And I think many of our podcast guests have said that. I still think it cannot be said enough. Um, because it's, yeah, if, if education wasn't free in Germany, for example, I would never in a million years um, have had a chance in all the things I, I later um, got to do. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is... Um, really to education I'm, I'm thinking of moments I had where I, I suddenly had this amazing text that I read that really inspired me or I had this conversation with often you Kyra <laughs> Jennifer or with the ambassadors and I and it's just so inspiring and so deep that it brings true joy and these moments make me think of many other moments that were like this for me and I just wish that we can get to a point where this is what education is about, where we can really experience this joy of learning, of knowing, of even struggling with things. I feel like many things um, like worrying about how to afford education, like worrying about all the um, pressures of it and what to do afterwards and all these things overshadow this joy many like too often so i just wish we could somehow make this a space where we really experience this joy of of learning of reading of writing of maybe drawing so whatever someone does in the university that they can just do it with like a bright smile right i wish we could see that more Thank you so much, Fatima, for being here today. It was just so nice getting to just know a bit more about yourself a bit deeply and I guess your academic background and how we can begin to really kind of decolonize the business school and what business lecturers can do. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Kyra. <laughs> to find out more information, access our tools or get in touch, visit us at blog.westminster.ac.uk slash psj. Thank you.